Welcome one and all. It's On The Ledge podcast, the podcast that puts houseplants centre stage. I'm your host, Jane Perone. And in this bonus episode, I'm digging deep into the On The Ledge archives to bring you episode 26 about old houseplants. Was your festive season magnificent or miserable? Or maybe, for most of us, maybe a mix of the two. Well, On The Ledge trundles on and it's not a normal episode this week because I'm trying to take some time off to decompress and uh, eat way too many mince pies. So this episode draws on On The Ledge's mahusive archive. You may or may not know that the very first 50 episodes of the show are not now available for general download. They're only available to my Patreon subscribers at the legend and superfan level. But I've made an exception this week to bring back episode 26, which was all about old houseplants. And I chose this episode because it contains a melange of fascinating mini interviews with various people, including the lovely Larry Hodgson, who you may remember from other episodes of the show. Unfortunately, he passed away recently, which was a real loss. He was an amazing Canadian garden writer and horticulturist and a huge houseplant expert and a delightful man. So I I wanted to hear his section on Christmas cacti again because it just brought me great joy. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to access the other 49 very early episodes of the show, you can do so by becoming a patron. Details in the show notes on how to do that. But I'm going to leave you with Old Me. This dates from sometime in 2017, I think. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, And you'll note that the theme music is different and there's some funny little inserts from my friend Mark Hamilton, which OG listeners will remember. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and let me know what you think of it. Show notes are in the usual place if you want to take a look, which is, of course, janeperone.com. Konnichiwa. Ciao. Hola. Bonjour. And indeed, Good day to you all. This is On The Ledge Podcast and I am Jane Perone. My apologies if I'm a teensy bit distracted this morning. I've just spotted some white fly on one of my succulents here in the office where this podcast gets recorded and it sent me into a bit of a rage. But fear not... I shall be giving this plant a good clean up later with some insecticidal soap and the problem should soon be fixed. Take that, Whitefly. On the ledge. Have you hugged your cactus today? Mm-hmm. Well, last week saw a very exciting event for On the Ledge podcast. I headed off to the Savoy Hotel in London for the Garden Media Guild Awards, where On the Ledge podcast was a finalist in the radio broadcast category. 
worth pointing out they don't have a separate category for podcasts. This is described as the Oscars of the garden media industry. So I was really pleased to be up there with The Sun's Peter Seabrook Gardening Podcast and The Sod Show and BBC Leicester's Gardening Show and of course the RHS Members Podcast in the finalist list. I'm afraid we didn't win, but nevertheless, it was a fantastic day and it was wonderful to get some confirmation that On The Ledge podcast is going vaguely in the right direction. Anyway, enough self-aggrandisement, I think, for this week. Let's talk about plants. Now, this week's show is a little bit different. Since I started doing On The Ledge podcast, one enduring theme that's come out is the number of people who have really old plants that they've been looking after in their families for many, many years. And it made me think that I should dedicate a whole show to some of these quite simply amazing plants. The prize for the oldest plant that I found goes to Jack Wallington, who's a garden designer and award-winning blogger. He has an Aspidistra, which has been through two world wars. Here he is to tell me the story. Yeah, so I, I spoke to my dad last night to double-check everything, um, just because I, I knew the plant's her- history and heritage um, a bit, but he gave me a bit more detail. Um, and he told me that he knows it's been in our family since at least 1906, um, probably before. So it's def- almost definitely Victorian. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's just it's wow. very old. Um, so a really old plant. It's, um, I remember it all through my life. Great, It's just been sitting there in the hallway, um, not doing very much because aspidistras don't do very much, but it's, it's been there as a part of our lives um, just constantly, really. So it's quite interesting as a, a living thing that's always been there. But yeah, so it's been, it came down from my dad's family. Um, it was owned by, through his mum's side. It's, yeah, so it went through both world wars. It started off in London. So my dad's family grew up in uh, North London around Neasden, uh, Harlesden area. Um, and then my mum and dad eventually moved to Fulham and then off to uh, Buckinghamshire. So the, the Aspidistra moved to Buckinghamshire. And then eventually they spent, we all grew up there, our childhoods around, me and my siblings had our childhood around Buckinghamshire. And then it moved up to North Yorkshire. Uh, my parents moved up there about 10 years ago. And then finally my dad divided it into four and gave it to, he kept one piece. Um, mum and dad kept one piece. And then uh, the other three bits were given to me, my brother and my sister. And so one bit came back to London, and so the other, and the other bits all across the country. In our in a modern home, it's doing really well. So um, it's interesting it can cope in all different environments. But in I suppose in our flat, it's very we, we've got a small one bedroom flat in Clapham, and it's um, we've got the central heating. Uh, I've got it in a really shady spot. It's, it's got some a bit more light. I tend to give it a bit more light, so it seems to grow a bit faster. Um, just with, if it's a bit closer to a window, but not not direct sunlight. But it's definitely coping very well i've noticed that it needs to be repotted um i haven't repotted it in about three years <laughs> my dad gave it to me actually he'd, he'd be horrified to find that um but <laughs> so it, need, it does need repotting but it's it's, it's living and it's, <laughs> and it's growing uh, it's sending out new leaves what actually one interesting thing it hasn't flowered yet my dad remembers it's flowered once or the the plant in his since he's known it has flowered once since he's had it um which is quite that's the the, the golden thing to aim for for me is to get our one to flower as well jack's dad if you're listening i've made him swear blind he's going to pot up the aspidistra into a fresh pot very soon so don't worry it will make it to another century i promise interestingly did you know that many aspidistras are pollinated by slugs 
fascinating fact there for you Aspidistra lovers. It's so fascinating to know that this plant has been through so much and is still doing really well in Jack's modern home. And I'd like to state here and now that I'd love this to be the start of a campaign to get Aspidistras back on the ledge. I think they're wonderful houseplants and everyone should have one. But why are they so hard to get hold of? In fact, let me let you into a little secret here. The first working title for this podcast was Keep the Aspidistra Flying named after the George Orwell novel, of course. Well, I say of course. The reason why the show didn't end up being called that was because I quickly realised that a lot of people had absolutely no idea, A, what an Aspidistra was, or B, they'd never heard of the George Orwell book. So the idea was quickly nixed. But I still love Aspidistras. And what most people don't realise is there's also a whole realm of wonderful variegated Aspidistras too. Some of them have got striped leaves or dotty leaves. There's a really exciting world of Aspidistras out there, which don't seem to be very widely available to buy. So come on, Aspidistra growers. Let's see those Aspidistras flying off the shelves. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Now, obviously, Jack is a bit of a plant pro, but sometimes a plant just seems to thrive, whether by luck or judgment, we're just not sure. When I heard the story of Kath Bond's amazing long-lived cactus from her son, Ed, I just knew I had to give her a call. And we had a wonderful conversation about this amazing cactus. You'll hear her husband chiming in in the background occasionally, which I think even makes it even more entertaining and delightful to listen to. Here's Kath. Ed bought it for me from, I said sort of fate, when he was seven. So that was 34 years ago. And it's had several sort of lifetimes, really. Um, it grew and grew and grew and grew. And at one point, I think it was about a metre high. And then it started dying off a bit. So we've chopped it back a few times. Yeah, my husband said it was taller than that. Because, yes, it curled all sort of round the window. And, yeah, <laughs> so it was very tall. And then... Uh, he said about two metres. It was really big. In fact, a little girl came to our house and was in the garden and she thought it was a snake in the window. <laughs> That's brilliant. So is it, what's, and, uh, it, what's it planted into? Just in a, in a big jar. I've, I've got to go and have a look. Do I did pour a little thin over it. Yeah, it's in a big sort of big jar just in, was it just in Oh, yeah, a pickle jar. So the secret is pickled onion jar, maybe. It's got a little sunny daughter now growing by the side of it. And it's a, so there's no drainage in this jar? It's just... No drainage in the jar. It just sits in there. Seems to be very happy in there. You've not repotted it at all? We, or... we repotted it um, once, I think. You haven't no, it didn't come in that jar. It came in a smaller jar than that. Um, so it has been repotted perhaps just once. And it just sits there. It's not as big anymore because it did start dying off a bit at the top. So... Just I hacked cut, it off. I cut it off. And yeah, and it's shooting out again. Yeah, just got little sort of shoots on the side. So now you know. If you want success with your cactus, plant it in a pickle jar. I'm not sure I'm going to recommend that, but 
Kath's Cactus. You can see a picture on my website, show notes at janeperone.com to see a sight of this wonderful plant. And thanks so much to Kath and her husband for their uh, for their insight into this wonderful plant. I love the idea that a little girl was terrified that it was a snake in the window. So clearly some plants like many cacti and also Jack's Aspidistra make really great long-lived houseplants because they can stand all kinds of conditions. They're pretty stoic whatever you do to them. But what other qualities give certain houseplants the edge when it comes to sticking around for the long term? Larry Hodgson, aka the laid-back gardener, says the Christmas cactus is a prime candidate and I think I know what he means. If you join any houseplant group on Facebook it won't be long before somebody's showing off their great aunt Lulu's ancient Christmas cactus covered in blooms. Here's Larry to explain why. Well, they're not going to get that big. Well, they can get quite heavy, but I think also they don't need much roots, uh, space for their roots because it becomes a problem of, of repotting at some point. I mean, you can grow some pretty big house plants, but how would you move the pots around? Whereas you can keep a Christmas, a full grown Christmas cactus in a pot that's like maybe uh, uh, I don't know, uh, 12 inches across. So you can move that around. I think that's very handy. If you are at this very moment shouting at your smartphone or speaker because you just can't get Christmas cactus to bloom, don't worry, we'll be talking about this and other Christmas plants in upcoming episodes. Larry had a story from his family about this plant, of course. When my son was little, we, we used to do, you know, gifts we made ourselves right that was one of our things we used to do and so we gave he gave his grandmother a little cutting of christmas cactus in a pot and gave it to her now she died two years ago but uh that plant lived to be 30 years old uh and every single year she'd call and talk to my son and say I counted, she counted the flowers. I have 150 or 200 or 300. So she was so proud of this plant that her grandson had given her. And it just lasted, it lasted longer than she did finally. It's really lovely when you've got a plant that really reminds you of a particular person. I've got an aloe aristata, a lace aloe, which was given to me by some dear friends many years ago now. Fiona and Jugs. I haven't seen them for a long time. They live in Scotland now, but they entrusted this lace alo to me many years ago and it's still thriving. In fact, I can see it now. It's in my greenhouse where it'll be very happy over the winter because it's a particularly hardy uh, type of alo. Uh, and it's sitting there and it always reminds me of them and what lovely people they are. So it's really special when you have a plant that has a person's memory attached to it. As a professor of biology at the University of Nebraska, Dr. Paul Twig has a lot of plants, many of them with stories behind them. But I have to say, I'm a little bit in awe of one particular plant that he's got because it's a gerbera that's been on his windowsill for many, many years. A gerbera. I have to say, if when these things are in the house, I just kill them as quick as look at them. But clearly, Paul's got the knack. I guess it helps that he studies plants for a living. Uh, it was actually something that uh, came from a plant sale that a student of mine had bought to take home, and she was convinced after she got it home that she was going to kill it, so she brought it back to me to keep for her, and then eventually she moved on to do other things. She's now got a Ph.D. studying prions, but the the plant ended up 
staying with me and every year it, you know it, if you've ever, if you've ever had a gerber for any length of time you know that it looks great for a while while it's blooming and then it has some leaves and it kind of dies back to the ground and and as a result this this plant goes through that cycle over and over again and I kind of wonder every year is it going to come back and every year it comes back with these lovely sort of uh, light pink or coral colored flowers it it was a it was a variety of gerber at the time I believe called crush um, and and I've and I've you know maintained it basically in my my office is in the the head house of the greenhouse so it's it's on the it's it lives in the window above my computer uh, next to a variety of other whatnots but is sort of a a uh, if you will a sentimental reminder of that student I guess I sort of nicknamed the the I nicknamed the plant in her name it's you know the her her name was Katie so I refer to the plant as Katie's gerbera Okay, so this is rather embarrassing. It seems that actually all those times when I thought my gerbera was dead and I've chucked it on the compost heap, I should have been more patient and waited for the plant to re-sprout. Gutted. Anyway, thanks to Paul for that story and let's see who else we have to talk to. Ah yes, so my final guest is called Elizabeth Day and she's got a story about a Haworthia that's been with her through thick and thin. I spoke to Elizabeth by phone from her home in California. But I got it in Madison, Wisconsin, my first year of my PhD program. Um, I was getting a doctorate in educational reform and uh, making a new home there. I had moved from Colorado. And so really adorning my new place with um, plants. And of course, I had brought some from Colorado too. But um, what drew me to this particular plant was... um, well, it was the Hyworthia succulent, and it was very small, and it was actually the container it was in as much as the plant at the time. And on my Instagram page, you'll see the container it's in, and it's in this kind of, um, it's sort of like a, it's hard to explain, but it's clay, and it's it's shaped like a person holding a basket, but it, it feels like um, there's something hmm, old about it, something kind of... Um, primitive, primeval, like, it, I don't know, I just loved it. And the, the person's mouth is open and they have big eyes and um, it's kind of like, uh, you, you know, you can look on uh, at the photo. But anyway, and their, their legs are crossed and they're just holding this and they're holding this plant. And so I thought that is really powerful. Um, I like that. And I was beginning my journey, um, this long doctorate process I knew was not going to be an easy one. So I thought, well, I'm going to get this little guy and here we go. (laughs) I expect you're as intrigued as I was to actually see this amazing pot that Elizabeth found. I'm going to post a picture of it in my show notes at janeperone.com so you can take a look. So scroll forward 30 years. Where's the Haworthia now and how's it doing? You know, it hasn't had any offspring. However, it's possible that now that it's in a much larger pot, um, now it's in like, I would say one, two, three, four, you know, a six or seven inch pot um, compared to like uh, an inch and a half to two inches. Um, It was, I mean, when I send you the picture, it's tiny uh, and it had really grown big in that tiny thing, which was also very inspiring. So I don't know if it just felt like, okay, I'm doing all I can with this small space. I no babies, but in its new in its new um, circumstances, perhaps there'll be some little babes. I don't know. 
there's something so symbolic about it. You know, it's sort of, um, it keeps gr- growing despite the circumstances that were, and, you know, kept growing despite the circumstances that were happening in my own life. Some of them where I felt like I was thriving and other times where it was really difficult. And so because they're slow growing, I think they're, they're just a beautiful symbol of um, resilience and adaptability and, and growth uh, on a personal level, even if you don't know you're growing. Um, you know, even if you might not feel like, um, you're changing. And so I think for me, when I look at it, it's, it's the small changes. It's, it's the green on the tips or the green coming from the, the middle of the plant. And it's like, I'm still here. I'm still growing. You can do it. You know, um, (laughs) anyway, that's how I, you know, (laughs) kind of related to this guy. Now I know I probably come across as a bit flippant most of the time in on the ledge, but it's really touching to hear stories like this of how plants can really come to mean something for somebody. And it's a great illustration of what a wonderful thing it is to have in our lives. And I'm delighted to say there's a little coda to this story, which I'll bring you now. When I repotted it, you know, it coincided, interestingly enough, with um, a new love in my life who happens to be a gardener. So, um, (laughs) that was, who listens to your show? Um, so that was kind of, um, kind of symbolic as well, you know, was, um, growing and got repotted. So I think that's the only thing else that, that I really wanted to share. Now that's what I like to hear. So next time you see a plant that's just calling out to you from the shop or from the garden centre, whether because of its unusual pot, its fascinating foliage or stunning flowers, I urge you to just say yes. There's no end to the joy these things can bring to our lives. Anyway, before I get to Oprah on you, let's move swiftly on. this week is something a little bit different and it comes from Eleanor Green who emailed on the ledge podcast at gmail.com and she writes I came across your Instagram a few months ago and your podcast has since become a regular listen I love it I've been interested in plants and gardening for some time now and was wondering if you had any pointers for me to enhance my knowledge obviously I know the best way is to get out there and just do more of it but I'd like to read more or do a course Thanks so much for any help you could offer. Well, Eleanor, I think this is a fantastic question. Now, obviously, the first answer is, of course, keep listening to One The Ledge podcast. But beyond that, there are some fantastic resources which are available to anyone who wants to get into houseplants. I still think the Bible, the absolute Bible for houseplants, is The Houseplant Expert by Dr. David Hesseon. If you don't want to spend a lot of money on one of these, you can get it out of your local library. Also, you can often find them in your local charity shop or thrift store. The best edition that I've got, and I have several, is the Gold Plated Houseplant Expert. This is a hardback version of the book, an expanded version, and it's got a red cover on it. That's the one I'd recommend going for if you have a choice. And it's one of those books that you can usually pick up on secondhand mail order book sites, as well as charity shops and other places, as I say. So check that out. That would be my first place to look. In terms of visually visual inspiration, it's lacking quite severely. But in terms of actual 
concrete information about plants you really cannot beat it to this day so that's the one that where I would always recommend that people start if you're looking for a slightly more modern version of this kind of book Veronica Peerless's How Not to Kill Your Houseplants is an excellent choice I spoke to Veronica back in episode five if you remember that's another good choice if you're looking for something that's a bit more stylish again i'd go for the wonderful alice fowler's plant love which contains lots of really interesting geeky stuff on plants but also has beautiful images of house plants and shows you how you can display them really well are you noticing a theme here they're all friends of the show um there's another book which i would recommend uh, which is rather old now but i still think it's a great work on houseplants is called Potted and it's by the famous Chelsea award-winning garden designer Andy Sturgeon and it was written a good decade or so ago but it's got some really interesting insights into how to use houseplants inside from a designer's point of view. That one's definitely worth a look for in your local library or charity shop. I don't think it's in print anymore. If you're the kind of person that likes to do your research online, there's a real smorgasbord of delights on the internet in terms of houseplants. But beware, there is loads of really, really terrible advice. So how do you sift out the good advice from the not so good advice? Well, the best thing you can do is go to really reputable sources. So, for example, if you're researching cacti and succulents, check out the website of the British Cactus and Succulent Society. The web address for that is society.bcss.org.uk. You'll find there's a forum there and there's also a gallery with lots of images and loads of information and publications that you can order, which are really providing in-depth knowledge about cacti and succulents. There's also an excellent BCSS Facebook group where you can post questions and ask for IDs on particular plants that you've got. I highly recommend getting involved in that too. I must also recommend a wonderful blog called Plants Are the Strangest People. It is beautifully written and the person who writes it clearly has a ton of knowledge about houseplants. I think they either worked or do work in a nursery setting and it's just so much fun and you'll learn such a lot from it. This person isn't afraid to discuss their successes as well as their failures and it's a really good read. I highly recommend it. That's plantsarethestrangestpeople.blogspot.co.uk. Check that one out. And finally, on the internet front, without wishing to blow my own trumpet too much, I'd also recommend that you take a look at my show notes. I put them together for every single show and they go online at janeperone.com and all of the links in there to further information I can absolutely guarantee contain great information about houseplants. And I also post on there various other bits of information which you may find useful. Also, do take a look at my Facebook page on The Ledge Pod. And if I read a really interesting article about houseplants, I usually share it there, whether it's written by me or not. And that's a great place to look for extra resources too. Now, in terms of courses, there aren't any courses I know of which concentrate specifically on houseplants beyond the short workshops that a lot of florists and houseplant shops run to make terrariums and things like that, which tend to be on a Saturday afternoon or whatever. If you're looking for a longer course on houseplants, I don't know of one at the moment, but if anyone in the listenership knows differently, do let me know. 
One thing that you may want to consider if you want to expand your knowledge of plants more generally is the RHS qualifications. The Royal Horticultural Society has a range of qualifications which cover different areas of plant science and propagation and garden design and so on and there are many places where you can study these courses through online learning so you don't actually have to go anywhere to do your study these are definitely worth investigating to find out more visit the rhs website rhs.org.uk and in more general terms i just say that when you're researching a plant online if at all possible if you know the latin name Use the Latin name when you put something into Google because you're far more likely to find accurate information that way because you will find that many plants have the same common name, which can get very confusing. And you'll also find that using a Latin name will weed out some of the more basic and often incorrect articles that you get on news websites and magazines and leave you with the more detailed advice, which tends to be more accurate. And as I say, if you're looking for a plant ID, you can always post a picture to me via email or you can tweet me at Jane Perone. If I don't know what it is, then somebody who follows me will. So I'm always happy to help out with plant IDs. Well, that's just a few suggestions for you, Eleanor. I'm sure I've forgotten loads of great resources. So listeners, if you want to add to my list, tell me where you learn more about houseplants. Do let me know and perhaps I'll get a blog post together on this subject so people can look at this resource all in one place. So send me your ideas. We'd love to hear from you. another episode hits the buffers there's just time for me to remind you how to support the show the number one way is to tell a friend wrestle their phone out of their hands if you have to then get them set up on a podcast app make the first subscription to on the ledge you're happy they're happy and i am simply over the moon you can also leave me a review or rating or donate a few quid dollars euros rupees or reels to the show by visiting my crowdfunding page at co-fi.com thanks to more Heather Withers, Tom, June aka The Cynical Gardener and Joff who all did just that. I'll be back next Friday but in the meantime remember money can't buy you happiness except at the garden centre. This week's show featured the tracks Whistling Rufus by the Heftone Banjo Orchestra and an instrument the boy called Happy Day Gakana from Samuel Corwin's selected field recordings from India and Nepal Volume 1, both licensed under Creative Commons, and Hot Lips by Bill Brown and his brownies. Voices by Mark Hamilton. Find out more at markhamilton.org.